She Makes Money Moves is the production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. I decided that I was going to support myself and my child. It feels good to say that I did all that, but also it was awful. <laughs> I missed a bunch because I was working. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. Knowing when to talk to your kids about money and what to say is tough. So tough that 18% of parents who responded to a survey by asset management firm T. Rowe Price said they never talked to their children about money. But the money talk is like the sex talk. If you avoid it because you're uncomfortable or confused yourself, your children won't magically become responsible. Teaching kids about finances gets a lot harder if you're co-parenting with someone who values money differently. Like today's guest, who had her daughter as a 23-year-old college student. She and her daughter's father broke up two years later. They now live about an hour apart, and though they share custody 50-50, she pays for most of their daughter's living expenses. She's with me half the year, and she's with him half the year. So half the year, she's getting spoiled and getting all these, you know, wonderful gifts and wonderful toys. And and then the other half of the year when she's with me, I can't afford to give her all of that because it's just me. Further complicating everything, our guest, who we're calling Emily to protect her privacy, grew up in a family where it was taboo to talk about money. So she doesn't feel like she has the right tools to teach her daughter. This is her story. I would love to know how, you know, I navigate that conversation of money. I want to have that type of positive impact just so she doesn't have to worry about stuff like this when she gets older. Today, Emily has a full-time salary job at a nonprofit. So she's making money, but she's not sure how to handle it. When she was growing up, her parents didn't talk about their finances. Money was never something that we were allowed to discuss. It was very taboo. I remember growing up, my sister and I, we had these huge lists every week of all the chores that we'd have to complete in order to get $20 to spend on the weekend. Asking for money was not acceptable. Um, We weren't allowed to get nice things because it cost too much money. We didn't, you know, get toys. I had to have a job as soon as I was able to be in the workforce. So I've been working since I was 15 and a half. Once we got a job, we were responsible for everything that we wanted. We had to buy, you know, new clothes, new shoes, using the money that we made at our job. Emily fell in love with music at a young age and spent most of middle school and high school singing in bands and choirs. Her parents weren't surprised when she said she planned to study music in college, but they also weren't supportive. Of course, they said, you know, you're never going to make any money. You're never going to make anything of yourself. Being a music teacher is never going to be profitable. You probably shouldn't be going to school for this. You should probably just go to a community college and get a basic degree. But it wasn't a surprise. They just wished that I would do something else. She got a small scholarship. But by the time she decided to transfer two years later, Emily had $50,000 in student loan debt. It was kind of a terrible experience not only for me financially, but also mentally. She was offered a full scholarship and decided to transfer. 
even though it meant she'd be starting her undergraduate degree from scratch. To cover her expenses, she took a job at a local restaurant. I started there in August of 2012, and I met my daughter's father there. Uh, We worked together there for a long time, and we developed this friendship, which it developed into a relationship. And by November of 2013, we were committed and together. And that was my second year. And in the spring, actually spring break of my second year, I found out that I was expecting a child. Of course, my relationship with her father was very young. It had only been three months of us actually being committed to each other. And I kind of freaked out. I plan to get my undergrad degree in vocal performance and get my master's in vocal performance and then start touring the world and being this renowned opera singer that sang in some of the most beautiful halls in America and in Europe. And finding out that I was expecting kind of shattered all of those dreams. Despite the shattered dreams, Emily was already deciding what type of parent she wanted to be. I knew that I wanted to be the mom that I never had. Her daughter was born in the fall, three years into her undergrad program. Emily, who was 23 at the time, didn't miss a single day of classes. I tell people this story all the time, but I never stopped going to school. I was 28 weeks pregnant when I started the fall semester, and she came a week late, thank God. She came on a Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving, and the next Monday I was back in school, taking the last week of classes before finals started, and Then I studied for finals with a brand new two-week-old baby and passed all of them and then went right back to work the week after finals. So I never stopped going to school. I did have those eight weeks to spend with her during Christmas break when I wasn't working. New motherhood didn't slow down the pace of Emily's life. The next spring, I gave my junior recital and she came and it it was pretty great. Going into her senior year, Emily was working three jobs and living with her daughter's father about an hour away from school. We made this really great schedule where when I had to be in school, he was out of class so that we could just do an even trade-off with her. It was, it was difficult, but we did it, and we made it work. The carefully planned schedule was a huge help, but Emily was covering the baby-related expenses, including food, clothes, diapers, and any childcare they needed to bridge the gaps. He tended to do less than I did, and I tend to do more than, you know, most people, so that's not a bad thing. But I generally paid for all of our things. I took on that burden of making sure I was able to support her as well as myself. Having that type of lifestyle was hard. I really pride myself on being very independent. I decided that I was going to support myself and my child. It feels good to say that I did all that, but also it was awful. (laughs) I missed a bunch because I was working. By that point, Emily had earned her bachelor's degree and immediately enrolled in a master's program, even though her daughter's father discouraged her. When I decided to go to grad school, tension was high. He didn't understand why... I needed to do that, and he didn't understand why I couldn't just get a full-time job. And the biggest job that I could have gotten there is probably a cashier at a bank in town. And I just felt so compelled to not be a statistic. I did not want to be the person that dropped out and stopped 
chasing their dreams and stopped doing things that they were passionate about because they had a child. She didn't quit in part because she wanted to set an example for her daughter to follow down the line. That is not the choice that I would want her to make. So I didn't make it. This meant more of the parenting was left to her daughter's father. And that caused a lot of tension because obviously I wasn't around very often. And that left him being, you know, the lead parent, as some people would say. And he wanted that dynamic of having a wife at home and and someone to take care of him and his child. And that just was not what my life was giving me at that moment. They split up when their daughter was two. Our separation was very sudden, and I tried to make the right choice for her and leave her with him in that stable environment with her daycare. And so when I say I was gone for 18 hours a day, I was literally an hour away for 16 hours a day and traveling an hour there and an hour back every Monday through Friday. The two battled over custody, and Emily had to hire a lawyer to get to the 50-50 arrangement they have today. I did take out a private loan just to cover the expenses of my lawyer. It was expensive. It was like $8,000 and I didn't have any money. Like just started a job making $12 an hour. And so I took out that money so that I would have money to pay my lawyer fees, which were huge. (laughs) Meanwhile, she continued to pay for their daughter's major expenses. But her ex's parents would chip in for frivolous extras. The things that I couldn't afford, the nice, you know, nice outfits for holidays that you'd buy at Macy's or Dillard's or, you know, the $60 shoes. I didn't buy any of that. So his family just spoils her rotten. She gets, even now, like she gets whatever she wants. She has the nicest toys, the nicest clothes, you know, nice shoes. She has a good life. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. While Emily appreciates that her ex's parents are generous, it also frustrates her. That makes it even more difficult because she's with me half the year and she's with him half the year. So half the year she's getting spoiled and getting all these, you know, wonderful gifts and wonderful toys. And and then the other half of the year when she's with me, I can't afford to give her all of that because it's just me. and. It's it's kind of awkward going to a store and her asking for a toy. And she expects that when she's with him and she does not get that from me. So it makes it, it makes it tension there. And it's kind of reminds me of how I felt growing up. She's also frustrated by her daughter's relationship with her own parents, where they never had money to treat Emily as a child. There's money now that they freely spend on their granddaughter. One of the big things that they do together is go to Chuck E. Cheese. But when I was growing up, we never did stuff like that. And so it's very, it's very weird. And it, it's, it's uncomfortable. I want my child to know her grandparents and I want her to love on them. And I, you know, I want them to have that good relationship. But it makes me a little resentful, I guess, because I don't even have that relationship with my parents. And now my daughter does. Because Emily wasn't allowed to ask for things as a child, it pains her to say no to her daughter. Especially when her daughter's father and two sets of grandparents always say yes. It's easy to say no 
just because I know what my bank account looks like and I know how much money I have until the next pay period and I know what bills are coming out, I'm I'm very uh, micromanaging of my budget. But it's hard to see her reaction. Most of the time, she'll fall out. She's like a four-year-old. So she'll fall out in the middle of the floor and she'll cry and she'll not understand what's happening. And it's difficult and awkward all at the same time because I, I'm not going to spank her for getting upset because I said no. And I'll let her express those emotions of of not getting that toy, but I also, I'm still not going to buy her the toy. <laughs> so I, you know, it's that conversation where I have to talk to her like, honey, I'm very sorry, but we cannot get it today. And having a reasonable conversation with a four-year-old about money issues in that way is, it's a little difficult for them to understand. But at the end of the day, you know, she's learning valuable lessons that no means no and She's getting it, I guess, at a young age, which is good. Emily hopes saying no to her daughter now will mean she'll have more money for both of them in the future. Her salary now is $45,000, and she thinks when she finishes her next degree, she'll be on the path to make six figures. But before she gets there, she'll have to start paying off her student loans, which cost around $750 a month. She also owes $25,000 on her car and has to pay back the private loan she took out to pay for her custody battle. She also has a few hundred dollars in credit card debt. My plan of action is to figure out a way to save and also pay off all of my student loans and also the credit card and the car loan and all that stuff and be able to be in a good position financially to buy a home and then also start saving up for college She'll be five soon, and 13 years seems like a very long time, but in the world of finances, it is not. So how am I going to save enough money for her to go to college so that she doesn't have to face, you know, the same struggle of working three jobs and also being a full-time student that I had? Since Emily had very little money growing up, she says she was always inclined to spend anything she did have right away. She just recently started saving using the Albert app to put $10 a week into a savings account. She now has a couple of hundred dollars in the bank, but she knows she needs more. I also want to start really focusing on retirement because I I do want to retire one day and, and have enough money to do that. And I also want to have a nice fallback fund. So if something does happen, I have that money in savings that I'm not freaking out if I work in the nonprofit world, arts organization, so at any moment, we could all lose our jobs. So I want to be prepared for that as well. Emily is one of the many women who've written to Glamour after hearing this podcast. She was inspired by episode two, where one of her guests, Audra, talked about having a father who taught her about money at a very young age. I think one of the most inspiring moments of this podcast for me was hearing, you know, the show where her father was teaching her how to save at seven years old. I would love to know how, you know, I navigate that conversation of money. I want to have that type of positive impact just so she doesn't have to worry about stuff like this when she gets older. For today's episode, we're welcoming back financial expert Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Hi, I'm Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez, and I write about women, worth, and money at stephanieoconnell.com. So Stephanie, Emily's family gave her money when she did chores as a child, 
but they didn't talk about money as a family when to save it, how to spend it. So there is this notion of like an exchange of value, which I think is a really important lesson to learn. But then by the same token, there's no kind of talking about how do you manage that $20 a week. Emily said asking for money outside of her allowance or even talking about money was taboo in her family. She didn't know anything about her parents' finances, but she said that she could sense there was a tension about money. Kids pick up on that stuff, right? Right. This idea that there's definitely something going on. I can sense it. It's stressful and nobody's talking about it. And then that might be the same lesson that we then take into our adulthood is we might have some kind of financial stress, but feel like we can't talk about it. And yet it colors everything we do. Exactly. So what can Emily learn from her upbringing? How can she avoid making the same mistakes? Well, I think there's something to what her parents did with her in that she had a $20 a week allowance. And that's a good starting point. And I think, you know, that's something that she could do with her daughter if her daughter cleans her room. If she does dishes, she's five. So there's not so much she can do. But as she's kind of going through childhood, if she understands that she has certain tasks and responsibilities that have a value and therefore she'll be compensated for that value, that can instill that first lesson of needing to earn money. And then the second lesson, which she can pass on to her daughter, is that need to manage money. And I think for kids, there's three categories to really think about. And that's the save category, the spend category and the share mm-hmm. category. So for kids, they're obviously not paying for their health care, right? Mm. But there are things that they can pay for. Maybe the clothes are something that the daughter is now involved in as part of her allowance. So if there's a special kind of seasonal item, you know, mom might buy the basics, but if there's something special, maybe that's something mom talks about. Okay, well, if that's something you really want, that's something we want to think about saving for. And we're going to put that money in our save bucket Mm. versus this money that we're going on this trip to day is in our spend bucket. And then this third bucket is our share bucket. So maybe we want to do something with our friends and treat them to something. Mm-hmm. So we can instill these or even basic just something values. philanthropic where you're, you know, I have nieces and nephews that love puppies. Uh, they don't have one at home, but in the share aspect, you can be like, we can give this money towards something. It's a charity that works with puppies. Exactly. Right? So even kids might not think of themselves as philanthropists, but they have values. They care about things. So I think if we can connect the basic principles of save, spend, share to children's values as they age, that's going to be a really valuable system of understanding money and how it impacts how we can live our lives and the choices we can make as they grow older. So these are steps that she can take now and she'll need to keep talking to her daughter about money. It's not a one-time chat. What else should she be doing for the future and and for her daughter's future? There doesn't seem to be much emergency savings. There is credit card debt that needs to be addressed. In order to do that, it's going to have to start today mm-hmm. with putting an emergency fund mm-hmm. in place, paying down your past credit card debt, and and really building a financial foundation that is not necessarily as immediately gratifying, but is more you know, effective long-term for building a support system for your daughter. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. Okay, so before she starts working on her future, though, she's going to have to start worrying about her present. It's great that she's been putting away $10 a week, but I bet she can push it even further, right? Absolutely. The other thing that I think is important to note is that student loans are going to be $750 a month. Mm -hmm. And right now, I don't know if that 
fits into Blake's budget as it is. And I know that she's going to have a grace period. So that payment might not be due for another several months, but there should be a plan for figuring out how to afford it now, because otherwise it's going to require additional debt, whether it's through credit cards or personal loans on top of what she already has in student loans. And she could even start making early payments on those student Mm -hmm. loans to start paying down some of that interest, um, maybe even make a dent in the principal. She has around $400 in credit card debt, so she should knock that out right away and then focus on building her savings while she's getting ready to pay off her student loans. Don't wait until you're making six figures to start addressing your debt. No, you need to start figuring out how do I start paying this down? How do I start building credit? How do I build savings? How do I invest on the money I'm currently making? Mm -hmm. Because she does make a full-time salary. Mm -hmm. So there's managing that money with where she is now. And then there's also growing her career Mm -hmm. in between today and six figures. She asked us about saving for her daughter's education. But that really shouldn't be her priority right now. I think she's got a lot of other buckets to fill first. I couldn't agree more. It's really important to have a financial foundation in place or putting your oxygen mask on first, as you might in airplane terms, as we might call it. Um, And this is also true with saving for your child's college education, because I know it's painful for parents to think about their kids taking on loans, especially when they had to deal with loans and they don't want to pass it on to their kids. But the reality is your kids can borrow money to go to college. You can't borrow money for your retirement. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the money to fund your retirement, you are going to be a burden on your child because you won't be able to afford your cost of living. So one of the most valuable things you can do is put that oxygen mask on first for yourself by putting your emergency fund in place, paying down that debt and starting to save for retirement. She did mention that her ex's parents will buy her daughter toys and clothes and her own parents are, you know, taking her out for treats to Chuck E. Cheese. If the grandparents have that money to spare, is there a way she could like pull a Gilmore Girls where she gets them to register for a site like College Backer and she lets the grandparents know that she'd want them to chip in for education maybe over those clothes. I think we might need to nudge our loved ones in that direction. I agree. I mean, it's so hard because the way that societally we think of gifting as, as a here and now thing. And I think if we can give the people in our lives the vehicle mm-hmm by kind of redefining what support looks like, then they will maybe buy into that. But it's really hard because like every grandparent wants to get their kids like a stuffed animal and clothes and shoes. It's just that the model of the way we support the loved ones in our lives isn't as effective as it could be. I mean, it can be an awkward ask, but if Emily starts an account, she might be able to quietly point them towards it And if Emily does start talking to her daughter about money, hopefully that will spark some organic conversations about money between daughter and grandparents. And if her daughter starts being comfortable talking about those things, which hopefully she will be, that might be something her daughter starts to share with her grandparents Mm -hmm. as well. Oh, I am saving for this whatever it is or a holiday in Disney World exactly or I'm I'm sharing for this uh dog charity charity. right and then her daughter's not like asking her grandparents for handouts but she's helping change the way everyone in the family talks about money just kind of this notion of bringing it all back to connecting the money to the values Mm -hmm. rather than just money to stuff yeah it really can help redefine the way support is given as well 
As we've heard on this podcast countless times, when parents don't talk to their children about finances, those kids often grow up to be adults who struggle with money. In the best cases, they're curious, but they're incredibly confused. In the worst cases, they wind up thousands of dollars in debt. Your kids deserve better. Don't let them learn about spending and saving from their peers or worse, from celebrities on Instagram. Start that conversation at home now and then keep having it. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit glamour.com slash money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Recording help provided by Brody Scott. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez and our guest Emily for sharing her story. <laughs>